0: Everybody, Scott Burnside here and welcome to our special playoff edition of Two Man Advantage starting on this Monday, the first Monday of the return to play by the National Hockey League. 10 games, that's right, 10 games already in the books if you've ever been to Tim Hortons and had a Tim Bits, that's what this podcast is like. This is the Tim Bits of podcasts. And every day, except Wednesday, when I'm going to reconnect with my pal Pierre Lebrun, who now safely has floated to shore in the Muskokas, um, we're going to do this every morning. We're going to catch up on all of the action. We're going to look ahead to what is next on the never-ending cavalcade of NHL hockey in this most unusual of seasons. And I can't think of a better person to join us for the maiden voyage of this edition. Jonas Siegel in Toronto, the master of all that is Toronto Maple Leafs. Jonas, how are things in Toronto? It's a city in mourning after the 2 nothing Columbus uh, victory in Game
1: 1 of their best of five qualifying series on Sunday evening. Well, that's kind of the thing with five-game series is, like, it feels precarious a little bit that they're down one nothing and yet they're they're down one nothing does that make any sense <laughs> yeah no i'm with you
0: <laughs> well I'm, I'm curious i i, I want to get to that game for my money and i'm curious actually um i'm curious to see what you think of that game because for my money and i have watched okay i can't can't commit to having watched every minute of all 10 games but pretty darn close um and uh, I thought that Leaf-Columbus game was outstanding. I just thought it had playoff juice to it. So, uh, But I'm curious about what it's been like for you. Listen, you're, you're down at Scotiabank Arena all the time. You cover the Leafs for the Athletic. Uh, you're used to being in that building in its normal vibe. And you can, you know, what I know people like to make fun of the Leaf crowd and its corporateness and all those kinds of things. But I wonder if, if there are things that have surprised you about being in that building, seeing the games, the way they're played, and, and the presentation. Any surprises for you or just general impressions of what it's been like to, to walk through the door in... In a for a moment that I, I think we'll all remember probably for the rest of our lives.
1: Yeah, so I never spent that much time thinking about the impact of a crowd on atmosphere on the game, and even just going to the exhibition game last week and then going to the game game one on Sunday, it really gives you an an idea of how important that is to a game and especially to a playoff game, like a crowd can really be the difference in some ways in a close game, especially like we've seen, you know, in some of the Toronto Boston series, the Boston crowd like had an effect on some of those games. And so you go into the building and like you're walking up and usually when, you, you know, Scott, like when you walk up to a playoff game, you're kind of juiced by the crowd and the excitement and the energy and you get into that building and, and there's none of that. There's nobody. There's nobody in the crowd. Like there's no one. There's no juice. And and even like during pregame warmups, those end, and it is silent in there. So like it's just weird uh, to watch a game. It almost feels like you're watching a scrimmage between two opposing teams, but with the stakes being completely high and intense and everything like that. Uh, so it's unusual. But I'm I'm surprised honestly, like how it looks on TV. It feels normal, but when you're in the building, it does not feel normal at all.
0: Right. And I wondered that because I got to tell you, and again, you know, having watched most of 10 games over two days, uh, there are lots of moments and you hear that sort of ambient sound and uh, you sometimes forget that it's not that nothing is normal and that these guys are playing instead of in front of 19 or 20,000 people in, in, in front of. 20 or whatever the number of actual reporters and, and broadcasters who's in, who are in the building. And it, it you'd sort of get lulled by the way it's been presented. And I think that's probably a credit to Steve Mayer and all of the, the, the broadcast and, and production people to, who have put that together. Uh, are Were there things during the game, though, that you were – and I don't know whether there were moments where you're like, okay, now that is – I didn't know it would be like that, or I didn't know I would hear that, or were that have there just been a moment or two where you're like, well, oh,
1: okay, I, I'll I'll remember this part of it, or I didn't think it would be like that. Well, so in the exhibition game, which was last Tuesday, um, they didn't have piped in sound, so you could hear a lot of what was going on on, on the ice. Right. In game one, they piped in sound into the building, crowd noise, so you you struggled kind of to hear that same chatter on the ice from the benches. Like you could still hear more of the enthusiasm that would come from a bench than you normally would. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, Kesperi Kapanen at one point blocked a shot, killing penalties, and the bench just, like, erupted. And that kind of thing, like, you, you might see uh, whether you're in the crowd or in the press box, but you wouldn't hear it. And so, like, those little things I think you, you, you kind of hear and notice a little bit more. But I do think it has an impact for sure. Like, imagine if you're a player and you're used to kind of getting spurred on by the crowd like even before a power play, and suddenly that, that element is just not there, and so that one little thing that you're used to is kind of gone, and so uh, I wonder like how it'll, how long or if uh, it takes some some players time to adjust.
0: Yeah, well, so that's a great segue into the actual game, and and, and I will say that I was probably looking forward to that Columbus Toronto game. Uh, listen, I I wanted to see them all, and of course we had massive upsets the two. 12 teams, both Chicago and Montreal, winning their opening games against Edmonton and Pittsburgh, respectively. We've seen fights. We've seen massive controversy with the Jets and Flames. It's been a lot going on, but for me, at least remotely, I felt the juice in that Columbus Toronto game on Sunday night was as close to playoff juice as I've seen yet and I wonder what what it was like for you Jonas who watch Leafs all the time and you would have broken down this series what, what was what was the what was your sense of that game the vibe and and maybe
1: whether it surprised you or, or whether you feel up being in the building, whether you felt the same way that I did. Well, it felt like the, the type of game that, that Columbus is going to want to play. Like, I remember just thinking to myself after the second period when it's 0-0 and it's been a close game and, like, there's not a lot of chances. And I'm thinking, man, this is exactly what Columbus would want. Like, this is their kind of game. And yet, like, we're not going to focus on it that much. And, and I didn't focus on it a ton after the game because the Leafs lost. But, like, that's the kind of game that you want to see them be able to play where they're not giving up much. Uh, they didn't generate a, a, a whole ton, but they had some opportunities. So, like, if you're Sheldon Keefe, I, I think in a loss, that's probably as close to satisfied as you could be, if, if you can be satisfied after a loss. But, like, they need—their big advantage in this series is their firepower. And, like, of their their four big stars, the only guy who really had a game was Austin Matthews. He had six shots. He played 24, almost 25 minutes the rest of those guys, William Nealander, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, those guys were quiet. And and obviously, Columbus has something to do with that. Uh, but if the Leafs are going to win the, this series, they need those guys to elevate.
0: Yeah, I, And maybe we shouldn't be surprised knowing what we know about this Columbus team and knowing what we know about John Tortorella. But I, I was still surprised at how fast the pace was. I, I, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there was a stretch in the third period, seven minutes without a whistle. Uh, it and that Columbus team, they roll four lines. That uh, Their top line uh, with uh, Dubois, Alexandre Texier, Oliver Bjorkstrand, was I just could not believe how fast they were. And they were a force seemingly every time they were on the ice. And it seemed, you know, they were on with the Matthews line. Lots, I, I'm with you. I thought there were lots of opportunities for both teams. Uh, but I guess I was just surprised at, that the— Blue Jackets were able to maintain a pace that seemed to keep up with the Leafs and and did seem to give the Leafs trouble on their own end. And I wonder if if you felt that
1: was true and maybe whether you were surprised by that. Yeah, well, you wonder what effect like having one exhibition game and not having your normal lead up into like the most high stakes games has on a team. But like both teams are in that same position. But you, you felt it throughout the game. Like, we talked about it coming into the series, like Columbus is going to kind of, like, try to grind you offensively. Like, they're not going to get a ton of looks. There's not a ton of firepower. I think they had three twenty 20-goal scorers during the regular season. But there were shifts where they were just grinding and grinding. And, and obviously, you know, for the Leafs, in, in terms of some of the, the chances that they got, Matthews, I, I think, had some good looks. But he had his best looks when he wasn't on the ice against Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. And, and that matchup feels really consequential to this series because Seth Jones, Zach Guaranty going to see a lot of Austin Matthews. So I think the question for the Leafs moving forward is like, where are you going to find the offense beyond that? Like if that's a draw and it, and you know, Matthews had his looks, but not a ton of looks. He had just one shot when he was on the ice against Seth Jones. Like, where are you going to find looks against a team like Columbus when Seth Jones isn't out there, because he's going to be out there half the game, and and he, man, like he was he was something in game one. Yeah,
0: no question. I I, I you know, and have spent a lot of time around Seth Jones over the years, and I, he just looked even more imposing. That yes, you know, than I sort of rem- remember he's him. Like that was he's he is huge, and he's he never leaves the ice, and he's at both ends. I I I, I was I'm with you, and that will be it'll be fascinating for me to see how Sheldon Keefe I don't know if there's a way to negate that or to try and at least uh, minimize the potential impact of Seth Jones as this series goes along. But to me, that's going to be a real challenge for him. Uh, Jonas, before I let you go, I I, I think about the East. Uh, We're going to see tonight game two of Pittsburgh-Montreal, a game that I I felt—listen, game one— uh, to me, Montreal didn't play anywhere close to, like, a perfect game, the shutdown. The, you know, you draw it up. You think, oh, for that team to upset the powerful Penguins, they'll have to play perfect. I, I didn't feel that way. Right? It took stupid penalties. They looked disorganized for periods of time. Gave the Penguins a long five on three. And the Penguins could not take what was given them and ended up losing in, in overtime on Jeff Petrie's goal. Are you, I wonder what you think of uh, when you think of Game 2 coming up in now what is a must-win situation for the powerful Pittsburgh Penguins.
1: Yeah, it feels in some ways almost like what the Leafs will face, like in terms of the stakes and in terms of the importance of the game. But I'm with you. Like watching that game, like I think I, I looked at one point and Pittsburgh had like 30 more shot attempts than Montreal, and yet it was close. And you wonder, like, I, I, I was curious that they went with Matt Murray in, in Game 1. I wonder if they'll go with Matt Murray in Game 2. He was not the reason that they lost. Carey Price was obviously fantastic. But, like, that's—it I kind of made me want first uh, five-game series in the first round just for the randomness it can cause. Because when you have a goalie like Carey Price, like, if he gets hot, if he gets hot again in Game 2, Pittsburgh could be down 2 nothing. You know what I mean? Like, that's—it kind of creates its own layer of, of interest. But I think Pittsburgh— I mean, this is why people were not happy with the format because a, a team like Pittsburgh was having such a great regular season and now they're down one nothing in a best-of-five series in which Mont- Montreal kind of lucks their way into Game 1.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's going to be fascinating. And listen, I can't wait. Game 2, Columbus-Toronto. Jonas, thanks for getting up early and hanging out with us. And, and people should know that uh, Jonas and James Myrtle will have a Leaf report podcast after each maple Leaf playoff game this summer so don't miss that and jonas get some sleep i'm sure that this will not be the last time that you and i speak and uh, thanks for hanging out with us sounds
1: good thanks guy
0: and now we go east to west and we bring in dan robson a man who is in a different time zone and still got up early to join us on the Two-Man Advantage Playoff Special Edition Podcast. Dan, uh, got a coffee? Do you have a Tim's? Listen, it should be, you don't have to go very far to get a Tim's, I wouldn't think, but thanks for getting up so early in Edmonton.
2: Yeah, hey, I have a I have a coffee pot in my hotel room, so um, yeah, so I'm, I'm good. I'm doing well so far. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing very well, thank you, and uh, I, I was saying to Jonas that I, I've caught almost all of the 10 games that have uh, that have gone on uh, so far in the uh, opening two days of return to play for the NHL. I must admit I you know the late games for me, once the flames got up 3-1, I went to bed on that one. And once the wild were up 2-0 on Vancouver on Sunday night, I must admit, I, I sort of felt that that was a a done deal. Uh, but I, I was curious, Dan, I read your piece this morning, another fine job. And I, I think Scott Wheeler helped out in, uh, in Toronto as well. Um, but just a, a real, uh, what I thought was a beautiful scene setter for people who are wondering what it's like to be in the hub city, but not... Technically in the hub because the NHL has blocked all independent media. I don't mind uh, saying that, uh, which I think is a, a an egregious error on the league's part. But uh, that said, I'm curious what you came away with when you were out and about in Edmonton and and maybe things that surprised you or that you were expecting and didn't see or vice versa uh, once you got your feet on the ground in, in Edmonton.
2: You know, it's been a pretty um, frantic pace since we got here. Um, I, I got in here Thursday night and sort of spent, you know, Friday walking around and, and getting a sense of of what we were looking at, this sort of unprecedented event and and the bubble itself and sort of how everything's been set up. So, uh, and all weekend I was working on this feature and Scott, as you mentioned, back in, uh, in Toronto and myself here trying to sort of take the reader behind the scenes to look at sort of the, everything that goes into this machine that has to churn to to create something. And, and this machine that's come together, uh, frankly, in, in a very quick fashion. Um, so I, like yourself, I, I was watching games, I was in and out of the arena, but I was also kind of just on the phone running around trying to see whatever I could find. So, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing to me that we've been through two days already because I went by through in a whirlwind. Um, I You know, I found it quite interesting. The, the one thing that I, was most shocking to me, I mean, and it probably shouldn't have been shocking, uh, but it, I did find it jarring was just the um the lack of of people around and and obviously i mean you know this this shouldn't be something that you know is it, something that's obvious but it is bizarre to show up at an event where you know there's 12 nhl teams here and you you're walking the street and you see sort of two people with you know an oilers oilers uh, gear on and, and you you feel the, feel like the, sort of the quiet around it um there's security guards everywhere police officers are lined up at uh, different junction points throughout the um, the, the bubble area where people where players pass through and, and you can kind of cross through the bubble. So uh, it's interesting to see all the people that are built up around it, but um, it, it does feel to be frank, like nothing's really happening here. Although everything is.
0: <laughs> well, and I thought you encaps- encapsulated that very well in that piece because I, you know, having been to those cities and, and, you know, covered. Now I'm old, so I actually covered playoff series in Edmonton back in the day. Um, you know, their trip to the final in '06, and and you do get a sense. Now I think it's especially true in Canadian cities that 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 a playoff series really does draw the entire community together. It is, it is, you know, whether it's the Red Mile in Calgary and, you know, having been there in Edmonton, Toronto. Listen, I've been to Toronto where they fly the flags and honk the horns after they score a goal, let alone win a playoff game. So do you, do you think that, is there any way to get a sense of whether the community is invested in this or is it like this sort of alien thing that's been plunked down in downtown Edmonton that people are... Because they are physically separated from it, maybe are disengaged from.
2: I mean, I, I, the people that I spoke with that are Edmonton fans here, and I and I can only sort of speak anecdotally to that. Is the they they all seem engaged, but they're going to be engaged from home. I mean, they're living in this and still within the reality of the pandemic. The bars, um, you know, downtown weren't packed. I mean, I, I saw them after. A uh, couple games. I know one of the people I spoke with went two one, and it was, you know, he said it was it was fun, it was lively, but it's also socially distanced, so they've got less people inside. Uh, I mean, I think Edmonton Oilers fans in in the hometown are, are still going to be. Uh, engaged, but there aren't people driving around with uh, you know flags out the window and all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, they didn't win, so I guess you probably wouldn't see that kind of celebration anyway. But um, but I, you know I saw a few people passing by with maybe like an Oilers sweater on on a bike, and a couple people honked for one of the guys that was outside with his flag. The one guy that I spoke with, and um, I, I think that it's clear that um, it's going to take a little bit of time. I also think this qualifying round is something that people are still trying to figure out. Um, if, for example, you know we get into the when we get to the the first round of the Stanley Cup Finals or playoffs, and um, Edmonton's in the you know in it, and and they start getting some 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 momentum, I think you'll start to see uh, some of the energy come back. But right now, everyone's still trying to get used to hockey being back in in this sort of unprecedented way.
0: It, well, I'll tell you, it, it, as we were, we were talking with Jonas about you know, Montreal knocking off Pittsburgh in game one in overtime. Uh, the Oilers should have been so lucky to actually get to overtime. Of course, they were overwhelmed by a Chicago team that apparently did not read get the memo that they're lousy and don't belong in the playoffs. Uh, and they ab- they absolutely crushed the Oilers. And, you know, did Dave Tippett make a colossal error in starting Mike Smith? Uh, I think the evidence seems to suggest that that was probably an error. Uh, but really a disappointing out outing as a whole from a talent-laden Edmonton team and I wonder you know do you I don't know if you're getting a sense from the people that you're talking to or even just you know as a as a hockey fan whether the sort of the level of surprise at, at what has gone on early in that series especially in that city because the expectations were so high for this Edmonton team and now they they face a must win situation tonight they play the late game so the last game of six games today and they have they have to win or the chances of them moving on or are are, you know at least historically very very small
2: yeah i think it's you know it's deflating to say the very least uh in that game i mean they they came out it it seemed like they were coming out strong car McDavid scored that first goal and then everything just fell apart and and you could just see that they they weren't playing the game that they uh needed to be playing i mean i i I frankly feel bad for for mike smith i mean i'm a you know, goalie myself yes. and I hate when things get pinned, <laughs> pinned to the goalie. It's just a thing where you go, well, I, it wasn't just his fault. I mean, yes, you're, you're right. I think there's definitely questions about whether he should have started and, and that'll be addressed. But I mean, it was the, 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 you know, the tenor around the team after was, was obviously, um, you know, distraught. I mean, they're saying all oh, the right things will come back next game. But I mean, I think they were surprised um, uh, by, by Chicago and Chicago played frankly, very, very well. So, um, I, I, I'm I, you you know coming into tonight you know it's it is it is do or die and this is the, the it, kind of the exciting thing about this qualifying round is that uh, it gets so you know interesting so early and, and uh, you know you, you don't really have time for games like that and it's hard to come back from a pause like this even though you've had a couple of exhibition games to step into a game and, and expect all your systems are going to be running properly and you're going to be uh, playing the game you need to to play to to, to move on play to be, to play play playoff hockey, frankly. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely curious about what happens in that, that series. I mean, that's it's definitely one that I'm uh, I'll be at tonight and I'll be watching to see uh, how this all plays out how they, how they respond. And then I you know, hope, I mean, for Edmonton as, as a city, you know, you just hope being um, you know, lobbying to have this tournament here, lobbying them the teams are going to be here for, for two months. Um, you know, some of the executives that live up on the, the top floor of the Marriott have now moved down to the hotel um, it, to be within the bubble, so you just kind of hope that you know all these sort of efforts they've done and, and to, to come together will, will will pay off, and and there'll be in uh you know there'll be some meaningful hockey being played here for by the Edmonton Oilers. <laughs>
0: well, and uh, before I let you go, Dan, uh, it, it wouldn't be playoff hockey without immediate controversy, and you also have a game this afternoon, game two, Winnipeg, Calgary, and. Uh, off the charts hyperbole, and I, I, you know, I never get tired of talking to Paul Maurice, uh, the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. But after uh, what was a uh, really a, a, a horrific scene with Matthew Kachuk uh, taking Mike Mark Scheifele into the boards, and of course Mark Scheifele leaving in in obvious agony, and then Paul Maurice insisting not just once, but then doubling down the next day, that Matthew Kachuk had deliberately uh, jammed his his foot into the back of Mark Shifley's leg. And, uh, of course, Patrick Liney also leaving that first game, uh, won by Calgary quite handily. Uh, I, I, are you surprised by, like, we went to DEFCON 5 right away mm-hmm, <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of what was going on between those two teams. And, you know, listen, Calgary's a really good team, but def- very... People were dismissive of the Flames. People loved the Jets, really felt that they could go, not just beat the Flames, but go on a long run. And now, uh, as, uh, Pit- as Pittsburgh and Edmonton are, are now facing, mm-hmm. uh, the Jets must win this afternoon against Calgary or they're going to be in a, in a world of trouble. And they may be without two of their best players. I wonder what your your sense of all that is.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, frankly, it's, it's just unfortunate to, to have Lonnie and Sheffield out. And then, you, you know, you hope, you, as you said, you hope that, especially Shifley, that he's, he's okay. It was a horrific scene. Um, you know, I was up in the, the box. It's, it's interesting being in the, in the arena when there's no fans around. Like, you just, you, you hear absolutely everything, especially in that game for some reason. It was, it was, it was less so in the earlier um, game with, with Edmonton. And, and so you could, you could hear, you know, right away you hear, Paul Maurice, uh, you know, kind of losing his mind about what had happened, and the players showing real concern. I mean, you could hear it in, uh, I could hear it in Mark voice, you know, just saying, you know, "Do we need a stretcher?" Like he was quite concerned about um, Shively on on the ice, and then it was it was a scary scene. So I mean, it was something that then set off up the tenor for the game, obviously, and I think that um, that continued. And like as you said, it was just a you know incredibly hard fought, intense battle. I mean, I think we're going into um you know I I love this series with two Canadian teams I think it's it's one of the ones that I just I'm watching just for for that reason I don't I don't know if it's if it's fair to say it brings an extra level of intensity but I just personally think that it it certainly does so um going into the night I mean I'm not sure what they're going to change up I'm not sure how they're going to fix this but um yeah it's, it's it's you know interesting to see uh um, you know the, the the Jets sort of up against the um, the, the the you know the wall already, and having to having to sort of fight out of this. So it, that'll be a fun one to watch.
0: Great, good stuff. All right, Dan Robson, head of features and senior writer for the Athletic Canada, and our man in Edmonton, one of our one of our crew mm-hmm. in Edmonton, but uh, in uh, just on the edge of the bubble in Edmonton, mm-hmm. doing fine work for us. Thanks for hanging out with us morning uh, on Two Man Advantage. It was a ton of fun. Stay healthy, wear a mask, and uh, let's see how this all plays out. But thanks for hanging out with us early in the morning.
2: Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: All right. That brings to a close our first playoff edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Join us every day because we're going to be doing this. There will be no shortage of hockey stories, hockey drama to discuss and debate. And you can find it every day here on Two Man Advantage. Uh, also, you should pay attention to the full sixty. And this week, <clears throat> Craig Costins will—it'd be like herding cats for him, I imagine—as uh, the return to play roundtable with Pierre LeBrun, Ryan Clark, Katie Strang, and yours truly should hit the airwaves Thursday. You won't want to miss that. Please check out our comments section for each podcast episode. At the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show URL, theAthletic.com slash Two Man Advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. We will return tomorrow, as promised, with a new Two-Man Advantage Tuesday morning at the Athletic.